Good morning. To begin this morning, I want to uh, take some time to uh, have let Misty Miller come up and share with the church about what the missions team did last week in uh, Louisiana in Mississippi. They were there last week, and the Bible says that we're supposed to rejoice with uh, those in the body of Christ all around the world when they rejoice. We're supposed to rejoice. And we're supposed to weep when the body of Christ is weeping. And this has been a time of weeping, really. And it's so easy to get into a cloister, body of Christ, our own little cave, uh, and be warm and filled, <clears throat> forgetting that there is great suffering. And so it was, it was a tremendous privilege to be able to send folks down there, and uh, we are getting another, uh, we're going to, we're trying to mobilize another missions team to go down in November, same place, Mississippi, church will pay your airfare, how's that for a deal? We will pay your airfare, you just got to get the vacation, and uh, we are hoping to go down again for a week in November, so if you uh, are interested in that, I think the it's about 125 bucks is what it is over and above the airfare. So if you're interested in that, uh, please let me know. And I uh, also want to tell the missions team itself uh, that I'd like to meet with you about a half hour after the service uh, to deprogram you. My brother's a missionary, comes in from China every five years, has to be deprogrammed when he gets back. So, uh, not really. But I do want to meet with you guys uh, about a half hour after the service. But, Misty, can you come up and, and share with us? speak in front of crowds very often, so, um, but I want to start off by just um, praising God. Um, it was definitely a privilege to be able to go down and to serve the Lord and to serve the people there. It was, uh, when you labor for the Lord, He just blesses you abundantly, as He always does, but um, it was just so amazing, and it truly was a privilege to go down and to serve along beside um, my brothers and my sisters. Um, I want to start out by reading a scripture that the Lord laid on my heart before I went, and I think it so applies to to what we were doing. I, I'm just so amazed that how the Lord just takes the body of Christ and unites them in His one spirit as He gave His one body for us so that we may be one body and it is just so amazing how he just truly unites us in himself. And um, this was in Acts in chapter 4. And chapter 31, or verse 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place where, where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness 
to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there any one among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of the lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of all things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they dis- distributed to each as anyone had need. And I would, um, going down to, uh, to Mississippi, we went, our church, it was Benjamin, Jose, Lori, Jacob, and I, we all went together with uh, a team, uh, Anthony and uh, Irene Chapman, uh, who is a Calvary Chapel, who goes to a Calvary Chapel in Connecticut, and we also teamed up with Heidi and Steve, who were from a Calvary Chapel in Rhode Island. So it was a blessing just to be able to serve with other fellow Christians from other Calvary chapels. And um, when we got down there, we weren't really expecting uh, what we were going to be. We didn't know exactly what we were going to be doing. We knew we were going to be serving food and maybe help gutting out houses so, uh, and helping people restore their lives. And um, we got down there expecting to be sleeping in the worst conditions and not having, you know, good food to eat, but the Lord had a surprise for us. <laughs> uh, we were truly blessed. The church allowed us to sleep in their church. We had running water. We had air conditioning to sleep in. I mean, the Lord just takes care of those who serve Him and who love Him. And, and eventually they had built showers, and we had even showers um, in the middle of the week. But um, we got there, and uh, we... There were other Calvary chapels there. Horizon was there. I guess the Calvary Chapel from San Diego. And just other Calvary chapels from all over. And we served the people food. And um, uh, But the Lord had in store for us, each of us, a specific place he wanted us to be. And um, I was truly blessed. Um, we were sitting eating breakfast one morning. And... Um, Someone came up to our table and asked, you know, can anyone cut hair? A lady was looking for a haircut. And um, <coughs> my roommate and my sister in Christ, Lori, who was there with us, she uh, used, went to hairdressing school at one point. And um, so she started cutting hair for the people there. And what a blessing it was for them that they could get a haircut. I remember the first lady that um, she cut hair for uh, I, I, the Lord placed me in a medical clinic and she had come into the medical clinic and all she could talk about was how she got her hair cut and how amazing it was. And it was just, it was such a blessing to see how blessed she was. And here, Lori coming down to um, Mississippi pro- never thought that she'd be down there cutting hair. And, but through that ministry, uh, five people were saved. And um, also uh, the guys. It was awesome. Something I've been blessed with is just seeing how the Lord works in my fellow brothers and sisters. And it was so beautiful to see how God blessed Lori by being able to cut hair. And yet she was so, she blessed so many people there. And uh, then watching um, Benjamin and Jose and Jacob and Steve you know, work hard together, and, and the bond and, and the brotherhood that the Lord brought between them was such a blessing to me. And just even in myself getting to know them, 
and, and seeing the love of Christ pour on their hearts for these people. It was so awesome. And um, but when we first got there, we drove along the coast, and the devastation was just, it's indescribable. The pictures on the TV and Internet just don't even compare. There was nothing. There was just foundations of homes left. It just looked, it looked like a war zone. It was a disaster. Um, driving through the neighborhoods, there was just empty houses with all this debris, trees falling, houses. I mean, it's like everything was wiped out. And um, it's like driving through a junkyard. That's what it was like. There was just, I mean, everything was just so destroyed. And um, it's like there's really no words to describe the devastation that we saw. But, um, and uh, the Lord, I was expecting for myself to be able to help with cleaning out the houses. But um, Anthony, who was our leader there, thought that maybe I could help out in the medical clinic. And I went there to just uh, to see what was needed to be helped with. And um, so I started, I helped them register patients. The nurses were busy, very busy giving shots and uh, seeing people for like cuts and scrapes, just um, helping people who needed help. And I, I was sitting there registering people, and I didn't quite understand for myself why the Lord had me here. You know, I felt like I could do so much better, like being out there in the heat with my brothers and sisters and just. Help them, like, you know, help people restore um, their lives. And I didn't see, quite understand why the Lord had me there. And I was a little bit discouraged. And I knew the Lord knows my heart. And He knew where I wanted to be and helping people. But through being at the medical clinic, um, I got to talk to a lot of Christians. And that was encouraging, just speaking with other Christians. I got to talk to people about the Lord. A little bit, but still, until I didn't under, I, I just still f- felt like I wasn't giving my fullest to the Lord. And um, but you know how the Lord says, "My thoughts are above your thoughts, and my ways are above your ways." <laughs> and um, I didn't. He didn't reveal to me why I was there until the last day. I was. Um, I had worked with two different teams, medical teams there, and. Um, it was just a blessing just to serve them and to help them out. But there was a doctor there who uh, was working with me, and um, he would come by and just kind of ask me about Calvary Chapel and about the church. <coughs> and he came down the last day, uh, I guess Friday I was there, and he said, um, he goes, I want to know why I don't have what you have. I, I don't have that joy and that light that you have. And he began to ask me questions uh, like about um, what does it mean to feel the presence of God? What does it mean to hear his voice and hear him speaking to you? I don't understand that. I don't hear it. I don't, you know. And he goes, and, you know, I explained to, to the best of my ability but um, it was such a blessing to me because the whole week I had no idea why I was there. And I know the reason why the Lord had me there was for this one person. And sometimes that's all it is, is for one person. And, um, but I, I was, it was just amazing to be able to serve with other Christians and to um, have that fellowship. And um, 
it was just to get to know Benjamin, Jose, and Jacob, and get to know Lori more, and just to, and meeting Heidi, and Irene, and Anthony, just how God unifies us with his love, and no matter, like, what walk of life we come from, um, how the Lord just brings us together in himself, and the people there were broken, the people there are trying to the best their ability to uh, restore themselves, but truly what they need is the healing that only comes from God. And as Christians, that is what the Lord needs us to do, is to be there for them and to uh, tell them of his hope and his love because only he can give them the life that they they can have, the true life that they can have. And... Um, it was uh it was just uh it was just a blessing to be able to go to be able to help these people. It was a blessing to me. I had a lady come in the medical clinic and she brought these beautiful flowers and she said, "This is all that I have left of my garden, otherwise all I am doing is living in my car and she goes, "I just want to give joy to someone and with what I have left and then and that was just so awesome to me. <laughs> it was a blessing. And just, and then there was a lady that came in that was a Christian, and her, a friend she's met that came in the clinic um, brought her a birthday gift. It was her birthday, and it was a perfume bottle, the only one that she had left out of all her possessions. That's all she had left. It. And it's just awesome to see how people are coming together and, and, and just. Um, Loving each other because that's what the Lord wants us to do is to love each other. And just, I was so blessed just to be able to serve with my fellow Christians. There's nothing like it. If you feel convicted to go, go. Because the Lord will bless you abundantly. And um, He is so good. God is so good and He is so amazing. And from so many different people, um, I heard them say, just even through my fellow Christians, that a lot of people are saying the only people helping us is the church. The only people helping us is the church. And um, God wants us to be together and be united so that we can encourage each other and each other love each other and to love the people around us and just have that strength there. That's what God wants for us. Um, but it was it was a blessing going down, and um, they need lots of help. There's not enough hands to help these people, and um, but they're thankful. They're so thankful for people coming down and helping. And that was just it. It was just I can't tell you what a blessing. <laughs> um, there's just nothing like it serving God, and um, just uh, praise God um, for for his grace and for his love, for loving us so much, for overflowing our cups. And um, we don't deserve it, but that's his grace and that's his love for us. And these people need that. And it was a privilege to be able to tell people of that while we were there and just to serve them. And that's just what I got out of going down. Um, And there's so many wonderful stories that everybody else has to tell, so please talk with them. Because it's just amazing how the Lord works. And praise God. <laughs>
we pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for, Lord, the testimony of the church, our church, but really the the body of Christ, Lord. I don't know how many times I've heard now that from people down there, from witnesses, that it's your people and only your people getting things done, at least in certain areas. And we just thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you for taking a few hands and multiplying, Lord, for taking five fish and two loaves, or five loaves and two fish, and multiplying it, Lord, and serving thousands with it, Lord. And Lord, what a, what a privilege it is serving you. And every, I just I think I can agree with everyone here, Lord. We want to serve you too. Lord Jesus, we don't want to get to the end of our lives and look back and, and think to ourselves, what did I do with my life? God, we want to serve you. God, I just pray that you bless us now in your word and that you continue the work in our heart and our church to start. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, can everyone rise? We're in Matthew chapter 15. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand nice and high. We have a couple here. Matthew chapter 15. Verse 29 says this, Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speak, the maimed made whole, the, the lame walking and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Father, we just thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, believing, God, that you're going to do a work in our hearts this morning through it. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Okay, please be seated. We're going through the Gospel of Matthew, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Last week we were in uh, verse 21 of chapter 15, starting there, and that was a critical juncture in the life of Jesus. Uh, he, a crossroads where his ministry uh, takes a completely different direction. In verse 21, Jesus leaves Israel. He departs from Israel. He leaves the region where the Jews live, and it says he goes to Tyre and Sidon, where the Canaanites uh, live. And uh, the rest of chapter 15, where we will be today, is outside of Israel. Jesus is now amongst the people who uh, they did not worship the God of the Bible. They worshiped any number of false gods uh, uh, which happened to be in vogue at the time, uh, a vastly different culture who knew little or nothing about God. 
And so in Matthew 15, uh, this is where Jesus takes his ministry away from Israel. Why? Why did he leave Israel? We talked about that last week. Uh, Part of the reason was, uh, as we've seen from previous chapters, he was trying to give his ministry team a break. He says they didn't even have time to, to eat. There were so many people coming to him for physical healing. But the main reason that Jesus left Israel was one opposition, fierce opposition from the uh, religious leaders. And uh, not only that, political opposition. King Herod, we see from the beginning of chapter 14, appears, uh, started to, to go after him. Um, but the biggest reason I believe that Jesus <coughs> withdraws from Israel, this is in the last year now of his three year ministry. Uh, is because uh, many of the Jews themselves, the people who were uh, following, uh, had been following Jesus, abandoned him. In John chapter 6, the parallel account to this chapter, it says that thousands abandoned him. There was only a few left. And so he leaves and... You know, this is the amazing thing about God. He'll prod us with his love. He'll prod us and and prod us and prod us and nudge us and nudge us and poke us. Every once in a while, get right in our face and say, hey, this is God. Let me in. He'll nudge us some more. But after a while... He will honor and he'll respect our decision to be left alone and and he'll leave. That's what the Bible teaches. And so he uh, leaves Israel and in verses 21 through 28, he heals a young uh, Canaanite woman. And then we get to verse 29. It says, Jesus departed from there. He skirted the Sea of Galilee. And went up there on the mountain and sat down there. We know from the parallel account in the Gospel of Mark that he's still outside of uh, Israel. He's in a region called the Decapolis. It's on the southwestern side of the Sea of, uh, of Galilee. And he's in, with, in the land of the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And then uh, it says in verse 30, it says, Then great multitudes came to him having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. And they laid down at Jesus' feet. They laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Now, we talked uh, about last week about this word in verse 30 there, laid down, or laid them, and they laid them down. That is the sick, uh, the sick people. And, you know... When I'm studying for these messages, I usually read several translations, and I I oftentimes will go into the Greek and uh, read what the different words mean. And this word laid down, it's it's one of those times, doesn't happen very often because the translations uh, are good, but this is one of those times I, you, you just say, ugh. How could they have done this? How, how could they have softened it up? The King James Version actually gets it right. They say they cast them down at his feet. And the, and the, and, and the, the, the meaning of the Greek word, the idea is 
is a sudden jerking motion, fling, uh, to, to, to fling, to throw. The, the Greek word actually is the word ripto. And I was like, why couldn't they just left that word, ripto? You know, that sounds kind of like what was going on. And uh, Anyway, uh, if you've ever seen uh, on TV one of those rescue missions where thousands of people, they're in a famine area and thousands of people... Uh, uh, in Ethiopia or somewhere, just crowding around a helicopter, and they just can't get rid of the food fast enough. Well, that's sort of the scene here. Uh, it's what is going on in verse 30. This is an outpouring of, of God's love. It says there was a great multitude, which means uh, that there were thousands of, of people there. And uh, who knows how many men were just needed to, to, to carry the people off after they had been healed so other people could come in. They, they literally were, were in such a rush, they were flinging them uh, at Jesus' feet. And so right here in verse 30, really, it, once you, you go beneath the surface, this is really one of the uh, as, as awesome and powerful description of the mighty power of God as you will see in the New Testament. Right here in verse 30, an extraordinary outpouring, a gushing, an awesome display of the power and love of God. Now, here's what is important. This is not just some sort of arbitrary display uh, of God's power here. This wasn't just a, a coincidence, a chance. Everything Lord does, everything he puts in his word, he does for a specific uh, purpose. This was placed here for us in God's word to demonstrate the contrast between what was going on in the hearts of these people, these non-Jews, and the other people, the Jews, on the other side of the border in Israel. Uh, turn with me really quickly, just a, chapter, a couple chapters back to chapter 13, last uh, verse, very sad, sad verse uh, in the Bible, tragic verse, verse 58, Jesus is in his... Uh, his native country, northern part of Israel, it says that he did not do many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. Because of their unbelief. And so, uh, uh, there you, uh, here in chapter 15, you have something completely different going on. In chapter 13, uh, he, he Nothing was really going on. And here in, in chapter 15, Jesus is declaring by what he was doing to all the world, there is no limit what I will do. If you are willing to just let go of your unbelief and put your trust in me. And he becomes like this one-man triage unit, I mean, uh, and restoring thousands of people. Oh, what God will do with your life if you're just simply willing to, to, to put your trust in Him. Do you know the only difference, the only difference between these people and the, the people on the other side of the border? It's just so very simple. It's almost... It's almost unfair. <laughs> it, it, it may seem unfair. Is it... They simply believed him. They simply believed him. We know that on the other side of the border, they were walking away, abandoning him. Why? Because of their unbelief. They simply put their trust in him. 
you are here this morning and you're in a season of life that you're not experiencing God, you're not seeing God at work in your life, you are dried up, you're distracted, you're confused, frustrated with life. Maybe you've never experienced God. Maybe you've never known God. It could be as simple as this. You're not simply putting your trust in Him. There is no shortage in the year 2005 of things to put our trust in, to put your trust in, your job, your school, your ministry, your family, your friends, your pets, your politics, money, adventure, sex, drugs, rock and roll. There are thousands of things you can put your trust in. And, and, and what do I mean anyway by putting trust in, 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 putting a trust, how do you put your trust in, in sex or how do you put your trust in, in, your, in, in your family rather than God? It means this. Building your identity, building your self-worth in those things, binding your heart, uh, your life to those things rather than God, giving the first fruits of your time, your energy, your resources to those things, trusting in them to make something out of your life. Simple trust in God. Simple trust in Jesus. The more I grow as a Christian, the more I realize how complicated I've made it and how simple it is. It doesn't have to be this complicated religious thing. It is so simple that God, Jesus, can go right into a region of people, uh, as he does here in, in chapter 15, uh, people who virtually know nothing about him. Look at the, what it says at the beginning of uh, verse 31. It says, so the multitude marveled. Why were they marveled? They had never seen anything like this before. They, they didn't, uh, unlike Israel, they hadn't had a God living in their midst for a thousand years. They had no Red Sea. They had no manna in the desert. They had no Jericho. They had no Elijahs, no Elishas, no Samuels, uh, to, uh, miracles in their midst. Uh, this is all new to them. At the very end of the verse, verse 31, it says, and they glorified the God of Israel. They didn't know this God of Israel. He was a foreign God to them. They knew very, very little about God, and yet all they had to do was simply put their trust in Him. And what happens? This extraordinary outpouring of the power and love of God, which just before, a couple months before in Israel, says that Jesus was unable to do any mighty works because of unbelief. So how simple it is to... to, to See God at work in our life. A thousand things can take our trust away from Him. But so it's really a very simple solution to, to come back to Him. And, you know, this all reminds me, this scene in chapter 15 of a new believer in Christ. Their life is um, uh, 
is turned inside out simply because they trust in God. You know, they come to the, to the Lord. They say, Lord, I'm tired of doing things my own way. I, I, be, I believe what your word says, that you died for me, that you paid the penalty for my sin on the cross. Uh, please forgive me, Lord. Come into my life. A simple faith in God. And all of a sudden, the heavens open up. It's like, wow, I didn't know this kind of joy existed. I didn't know this kind of peace existed existed. I never know there was really a God who answered prayer. And there's a marveling, just like there is here, a marveling. Now, here's the good news, though. It doesn't have to end. Of course, there's not going to be that astonishment uh, our whole Christian life that we had when we first realized that there was something we never knew existed. But it never has to end watching him move and work in power in our lives. And it's so sad here. In, in Matthew chapter 15, God has to leave his people. The God of Israel has to leave Israel. People who did know him, people who had such a long history with him, who had, had been, he had been loving and prodding and disciplining for over a thousand years. Such a, a bittersweet chapter in the Bible, chapter 15. Uh, it is bitter because God is leaving his treasured possession. But is sweet because he's now opening up the wonders and glories of his kingdom to the rest of the world. And, and so this here in chapter 15, it's a foreshadowing of what would happen after Jesus was resurrected uh, from the dead. And he would send his disciples to all nations, to all nations, a foreshadowing, a taste of what, it was, what was to come right here. In, in chapter 15. And, and you know, it started here in, in Matthew 15, and eventually it got to you and me. Praise God. So verse 32, verse 32, just continuing on. It says, Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on this multitude. So again, same multitude that he had, had, had just been healing uh, many of their people and says, I have compassion on this multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want them, I, I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those that, who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. So Jesus is out in the wilderness, wilderness with a great multitude, and he wants to feed this uh, multitude. And his disciples ask him, where are we going to get enough food to fill all these people? Now, when you read them asking that question, be honest with me. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Now, I know if you were with us just a couple weeks ago in the previous chapter, chapter 14, what happened? Jesus fill, uh, filled a multitude of 5,000 besides women and children. 
And so I know that some of you are asking, you're saying, how could they ask this question? I mean, they just saw him feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. How could they be so dense, you know? Well, before you're too hard on them, you should know a a couple things about this particular trial which made the test of their faith more severe. First, if you remember in chapter 14, they had the option of sending people away. Jesus and his disciples had actually had the option then of sending people away. Uh, If you remember, it got late in the day and the disciples came to Jesus and they said, It's getting late. You need to send these people away so they can go to the surrounding villages to eat. Not so in this chapter. In this chapter, they were three days. They appear to be three days into the wilderness, and there was nowhere to go. In fact, in the parallel account in Mark, Jesus comments that if if he were to send them away, some of them may not make it to find any place to eat. Now, when the 5,000 were hungry in chapter 14, one of the disciples offers to go buy food. He said, it's only going to be a few crumbs for everyone, or a little for everyone, but we can take what we have in our treasury bag and we can go get something to eat. We know that from the, the account in John. Not here. No one offers that suggestion. What do they say here? They say, where can we get bread to feed these people? So there was nowhere to buy bread where they were, and the conditions were also more severe. Remember in uh, chapter 14, it says that uh, they sat down on the grassy ground or on the grass to eat. Here it it, it uses that word wilderness, which in Greek, really, it means desert. It was just like a barren. It was a more severe place, a more severe trial. Now, I know some of you are still thinking, who cares? I mean, he fed them, didn't he? He fed those five thousand. Why can't he? You know, why can't he just do it again here? Well, let me ask you something. Are you saying you have never done the exact same thing as these disciples? Your rent is past due. You have one day to pay the $629 where the eviction notice comes. There's not a single dime in your bank account. You spent your last few pennies on groceries. You panic. You go to your bedroom. You shut the door. You fall on your face. I'm doomed, God. It's finished. I'm, it's over. God, help me, please. God, help me, please. And, and, and after a while, you just give up hope. You crawl out of your bedroom. And you look. There's a little white envelope right by your front door. Someone pushed a little white envelope. And you go by, and, and, and you open it up, and... And, and you read, there's a little letter there, and it says, uh, it says uh, something about your third cousin, fourth removed, you know, who you never knew. They died, and you're the only survivor. It w- and, and you inherited the estate. $629. Check enclosed. And you're like, oh, praise you, God. I'll never doubt you again, God. You're so great, God, you know. Six months later. 
Your car's totaled. You totaled your car. It's your fault. What's the bill? $3,000. How much do you have in your bank account? Ten bucks. <laughs> oh, God, what am I going to do? I'm finished. I'm doomed. Oh, God, oh, no. And the Lord's speaking to your heart. But, but, but wait, now, wait a second. Just a few months ago, remember that little white envelope underneath your door? But, Lord, that was $629. This is $3,000, Lord. You know, and, and, and what happens? You know, the, the Lord, in, in his great mercy, he supplies the $3,000. Who here among us hasn't done the same thing as these disciples? See, God work in our life in a great way a few months later. We're panicking just like they did. And um, what does God do when we panic? Does he say, oh, I can't believe you did that. I mean, just six months ago, I answered that very part. You get into the corner and put a dunce hat on. You know? No, he doesn't do that. No, he walks us through the same trial of faith again. 1 Corinthians uh, 13, uh, verse 4. It says, God's love for us suffers long. That is such an important four-word verse. God's love suffers long for you. What does that mean? It means that he will be patient to the point of suffering and walk through the same trial with you over and over and over again with love. I absolutely love that. He, he will walk through the very same lesson uh, with you until you get to the point where you're out in the wilderness three days and there's 4,000 people who uh, haven't uh, eaten and, and he asks you, where are we going to get food to, to feed these people? And, and, and you say, you, Lord, you're going to feed them. God will do that in your life. He'll bring it there. He will. Now, what is really awesome is as your faith gets bigger and the trials get bigger, just as they did here, in a more severe place, they were farther away, they didn't, weren't anywhere that they could do to get food, the blessings, the reward of trusting in him will get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know something? There's nothing wrong with appreciating that. Let me share with you something just incredibly cool about this story, something that you've you got to kind of go dig beneath the, the surface to find. In Matthew chapter 14, it says that after Jesus fed the 5,000 people, the disciples gathered the extra pieces in 12 baskets. In 12 baskets. Now, in this chapter, it says, uh, chapter 15, so in chapter 14, it says they gathered extra pieces in 12 baskets. In this chapter, chapter 15, it says that after he fed the 4,000, Jesus uh, gathered the extra pieces in seven baskets. Now, listen to this. The word for basket, the Greek word for basket in chapter 14, is a completely different word 
than the Greek word for basket in chapter 15. The basket in chapter 14 was a Jewish basket. They were in Israel, right? It was a Jewish basket, and that kind of basket was almost like a lunchbox of that time, just a little basket like this, sort of what someone would use to carry their lunch in. But now they're no, in chapter 15, they're no longer in Israel. They're in, uh, they're in an area of Canaan, and they were using Greek baskets. Now, you'll see the translation here uh, in chapter 15 here. It says large basket, completely different word. It's a basket that was so big you could fit a person in it. Do any of you remember in Acts chapter 9 where uh, Paul was being attacked? The Apostle Paul was being attacked by the Jewish leaders. They wanted to kill him. They... Uh, they uh, let him down the Damascus wall in a large basket. Same word. Same word here. And guess what? Those 12 baskets fill a bread, filled with bread in chapter 14 <clears throat> wouldn't have even filled one of these baskets half, halfway up. You see, as the trial gets more severe, and as God is building your faith, so does the reward. So, you know, I like to really share uh, different things that happen in our church body, uh, which mirror uh, the things that uh, are are going on in our different studies, and most of you know Yarek, Yarek Kodlubanski, a lot of Europeans in our church, I got to get those European translations down, but Kodlubanski, is that right? Kodlubanski. And uh, anyway, about a year, year and a half ago, uh, Yarek was laid off from his job, had it for about 10 years. Tremendous, tremendously traumatic thing, really. Uh, unexpected and uh, very much of a trial. And he went for about four or five months unemployed. And uh, it was a really difficult time for he and, and Renata here. And, uh, but he got another job. Uh, then about six months later... Last spring, he got laid off again. And I met him after church, and I remember saying to him something like, well, Yark, you know, last time God took care of you while you were unemployed. And Yark was sort of freaking out. He said, Steve, yeah, but that time I had money in my 401k. Now I have nothing. At that time, Renata was working. Guess what? Not this time. Last time our life was normal. This time we're about to have a baby. Now I was thinking to myself, hmm, maybe you should freak out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I didn't even think that, really, honestly. Uh, but anyway... Uh, he continued sort of freaking out like the disciples in the, in the wilderness and looking at his family, using the same line as the disciples. Where are we going to get the food to feed these people? You know, that type of thing. And, and, but you know, after about a week, he hunkered down with the Lord and weeks turned into months and things were looking, things were looking really hairy. It was one of those seasons of silence. We were actually, we were talking about last week, God was drawing out his, his, his faith with just a long season of just silence. Don't you hate when God draws out our faith like that? But anyway, um, until a couple weeks ago. And, and, uh, and then all of a sudden the heavens opened up and there were so many interviews, uh, he didn't even know 
like who he was interviewing. I called him up and I said, Yark, he's telling me about some company he was interviewing in Arlington. I said, what's their name? He goes, well, I, I don't know. I forget. There's just so many of them. I go, well, what do they do? He goes, I don't even remember. And I was like, you shouldn't take that job, you know, if you get it. But uh, anyway, any event, uh, last week, uh, God blessed them with a great job. And it's really, as, as far as all I'm concerned, all, all things considered, it's really the best job he's ever had. God brought him into a more severe place. And there's a reward for walking through that. And there's actually nothing wrong with appreciating that reward, the Bible says. Paul went after it. He went after that crown. And so, anyway, last week um, was a glorious time for him. But for me, the best, uh, the, the best part, really, about the whole thing, and, and Scott and I talked a lot about it, Pastor Scott, about just seeing him grow uh, during this period. It was just such a wonderful thing. And I think of uh, 2 Timothy 2.21 where it says that, um, you know, through these severe trials we're sanctified, refined by God, broken down, built back up by God. Why? So we can be made useful to the Master, prepared for every good work. That's where God wants to bring us. The Lord is so good. There's another profound yet very simple lesson in this story here in chapter 15, and I'm going to close with this. And verse 32, I want to read it uh, again. It says, Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude. Now hear, hear this. Because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Jesus had been leading these people out in the wilderness for three days. It says they have now continued with him three days. And he says, I, I don't want them to go away hungry, lest they faint on the way. In other words, listen to me. Jesus was not going to lead them out three days into the wilderness and let them perish there. I have to constantly remind myself of this. Very basic thing about the character of God. God led Steffi and I here to Boston about nine years ago. I've been gone for 25 years. Coming back was like coming to a, a foreign country, particularly when you're coming from Miami, which is a, not, a different foreign country than the United States, but uh, it's another story. But anyway, we... Uh, came up here to live in the city, to raise a family, and to start a work for him here, and a church, his church, and I've had to constantly remind myself all along the way that God didn't lead me here, only to sort of take off and abandon me <laughs> once he got me here. He led me here. He's not going to leave me alone. It's, it's, it was his idea. He will feed me and bless me here just as he has fed the 4,000 here in the wilderness in, in Matthew chapter 15. And, you know, so when things happen, I remember when the hotel here, we have actually a wonderful relationship. We thank God for him. But one day I was meeting with a guy and he's like, well, I, 
Uh, I think we're going to have to, we're doing these renovations, I think we're going to have to raise the rent double. We may have to do that. And, you know, of course, what happens to me? <laughs> Lord, what are you doing? <laughs> you, know, you know, you brought me here. Are you, you, know, you leaving me here all by myself? You know, whatever. And, you know, and, 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 and God just had to remind me. I led you here. This is my idea. I didn't lead you here into this wilderness place and... Now, they're not going to abandon you now. And, of course, they didn't double the rent. They didn't even remotely close to, to, to double the rent. And, actually, they, it was just the whole thing was a tremendous blessing what happened. And they kept, they kept it, really, for, for what we get here, extraordinarily low. And, and, and it was just such a blessing. But, the, but I want to just speak to you right now, every single one of you in this room. Listen, God loves you. He loves you, and he's got a plan for you, and he has a place, a ministry, a calling in your life, and he's not going to lead you there only to let you perish there, and it's just so important that you just brand that so very important truth into your heart, into your soul. And that you prove them out in that matter. You test them in that matter. Nothing wrong with testing the Lord on his promises. <clears throat> He'll be right there to feed you and fill your seven huge gigantic baskets. So Jesus fills a multitude of 4,000 people besides women and children with seven fish and two loaves. Rather, seven loaves and, and, and a few fish. And, you know, we all, have, we all have a choice that we have to make in our lives. God gives us a portion, and it's actually, it's very little what we can offer to God. He gives us a few loaves and a couple of fish, each one of us. But we do have a choice. We can choose when we think no one's looking to run away to a little corner and go, you know, no one's looking, you know, God doesn't know. That is the sad testimony of most of the world. Jesus says, wide is the road that leads to destruction. There's an alternative, and that is simply to trust in who God is. He's the Lord. He created the heavens and earth. He created you. He spun you together in your mother's womb. And we can take those few loaves and fish and just hand them all over and let him multiply in our life. First with a relationship with him, starts now and continues on in eternity, but also just a, a, a relationship in which we're multiplying what he gives us in our lives. Let's continue to do that as we move out of here today and into our life this week, into our jobs, our, our neighborhoods, our, our friendships, multiplying what God has given us by giving him what he's given us. Let's pray.
Father, I just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, for some of us, a, a reminder, a reminder that we need to take what you've given us and give it to you and simply put our trust in you. For others, Lord, who do not know you, they don't have a relationship with you, they're not born again. God, I just pray that you'd bring them to that place where they are willing to give you their life, accept what you did for them on the cross, and invite you in their heart. And Lord, just for all of us, God, we need your grace. We need your grace, Lord. Your word says we're like a vapor. It arises in the morning. By midday, it's gone. And I just pray, Lord, for your grace to just, as a matter of habit, to give over the loaves and the fish that you give us and give them right back to you, Lord, that you can multiply them. God, we ask that for all of us, for me, Lord. Ask it for myself. And, Lord, as we go out this week, we just pray that you continue to open up our hearts. We'd know you, the fullness of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, God bless you. If anyone needs prayer, please come up. You're dismissed. <laughs>